Audio. This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a very talented writer and a fine drinker of fine scotch, C. <laughs> Robert Gargill. I think the, the latter is more true than the former, but I will take it. <laughs> I think it's you're both a talented writer and you're really good at drinking scotch. You feel I'm both really those things I'm really good at drinking scotch. <laughs> I'm really good at finding good scotches. You are. What are we drinking right now? Because you kindly brought a scotch. Uh, we're br- drinking Dawani 15. Oh, yes. I can taste the 15. Yeah, the uh, Well, it's the... Uh, the the liquor store that was near my hotel did not have a particularly deep selection, but they did have a couple of nice 15-year-olds, and so I, I picked up two 15-year-olds for the hotel room, and I told that <laughs> to my wife, and she just gave me the grimace because she knew she knew where I was going with that. So, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, I was I figured because you're one of my few friends that I know that appreciates scotch as much as I do. Yes. So I know that if I pull out a nice scotch, you will be like, oh, let me examine the notes and the flavors of this instead of will this fuck me up? <laughs> yeah, I will. the answer is yes, yes. but it, very slowly and elegant. Elegantly. Yeah. That is that is what is nice about scotch is that you enjoy that process. You never, like if I ever saw someone shoot scotch, I might actually <laughs> punch them. Like that yeah. would be, like why would you do, no, you shoot tequila. Yeah. There's a reason, there's a reason why because most tequilas aren't good sipping tequilas. Yeah. Like, scotch is for when you're like, I want to get fucked up and enjoy a note of pear. There is, yeah. Ex- Very yes. elegant. Elegant fucked up. In fact, it <laughs> is. Uh, so I, I want to uh, have the people hear from you a little bit about who you are and what you do. You have a storied uh, career at this point. And as we I have are an re- oddball career. You have an which... oddball career, but some very cool stuff. And as we're recording, we're just about to the premiere of your movie, Doctor Strange, your little indie movie. Have you been describing this, it? Yeah, this little tiny indie movie I, I, I worked on for a little bit of time, you know, yeah. a couple of years. Uh, yeah, this little movie, Doctor Strange. Uh, you, you're probably not familiar with it. It's a it's a comic book, uh, and I know people don't like those or comic book movies <laughs> these days. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, I actually I was a film critic for ten years. I started at Ain't It Cool News um, and worked my way up. Co-founded uh, Spill.com, cool, uh, which was a really awesome animated uh, movie review site dedicated towards diversity in in uh, film review. Uh, and then uh, did worked for a bunch of other places like Hollywood.com and Film.com. And uh, then uh, I developed a fan uh, who was a filmmaker and we became friends. And uh, one night we were sitting in a bar in uh, uh, Las Vegas because we both through the Twitters discovered that we were both in Vegas at the same time. He's like, dude, we need to sit down and, and have a drink. And so we went to the Mandalay Bay and knocked back a bunch of drinks. And he pitched me an idea that he wanted my professional opinion on. And I wanted his professional opinion on this little story that had come up uh, in my head, uh, which is now called Sinister. And that man, of course, was Scott Derrickson. And he's like, holy shit, I want to make that movie. We sold that movie a week and a half later. Damn. Uh, now, Jason. had you written the script for Sinister or was it just an idea? No, it was just an idea. We sold it based on the idea. Uh, we, we had two producers after it. One was uh, uh, Jason Blum and the other was Roy Lee. Uh, who produced, you know, The Ring and, and some yeah. other notable films. And um, so, uh, but Jason Blum uh, really, like, connected with us. And, and we're like, all right. And he was like, we need to make this movie. We need to make this movie now. Because how I pitched it was I pitched it as, you know, those found footage movies. And Jason just looked at me like, you know, dead me. And he goes, <laughs> yes, I make them. And he goes, well, this is the movie about the guy who finds the found footage. And he just gets this huge grin on his face. <laughs> and he goes, that 
is a genius idea. It's so genius. Someone else is going to make it in six months. You need to make this movie now. Like he was just like, someone else is going to have this idea. We got to be the first one out of the gate. I got to fast track this. So literally that was January in September of that year. I'm on set with Ethan Hawke (laughs) shooting this fucking movie in New York. And everybody around me is like, this never happens this way. You know this, right? Yeah. And it's a great movie. This is the story that people tell in movies, like how you get into Hollywood and it never happens this way. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it happened overnight after 10 years of writing on the internet. Um, and building a and, relationship where something like that could just organically happen. Yeah, because after that, you know, once I started going in and doing meetings, everyone knew who I was because they'd read Aiden Cool for 10 years. And they yeah. were just like, oh, we know, we yeah, we know, we know who you are, Cargill. And it's like, <laughs> oh, sometimes it, you, you'd, you'd feel bad about it. And sometimes you'd be like, really, oh, like, oh, hey, they read my stuff. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, no, I wrote about one of their movies. I and said not something. So not great things about and your your handle it was at Massaworm. Massaworm. Yeah, it was Massaworm. And uh, uh it was a very stupid nickname given to me by my roommates when uh you know, like when I was twenty four years old. <laughs> and one of my roommates set up my first email address because he was the techie in the house. And so I when I emailed my first review to Harry uh uh Knowles, uh it was from that email account and he just said, Well, we're gonna call this guy Massaworm, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> and so it's like and that be the and little did my roommates know they were setting up my identity for the next fifteen years of my life. So yeah, at one point I assumed it was a reference I didn't understand, and I googled it. No. And I was like, "Wow, he's buried whatever the original reference was." No, there is it's no only reference. Links to him. No, 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 no. It's yeah, it's it it it's it's literally completely worthless. <laughs> like there's there's a small story behind about how it happened, and it's just so stupid and and like not even worth telling. But it was just literally some stupid thing that my roommates thought was funny to call me and yeah there it is that's uh that because my because if i'd been able to choose i know what i would have chosen back then and it would much easier reference much <laughs> i would have gone by space cowboy much and, better and my, my the, the only frustration i'd have in my life is people would be like oh from that song right and it's like no from battle beyond the stars george <laughs> papard's character space cowboy <laughs> Well, you saved yourself that conversation for your whole life. For the rest of my life. Instead, people, Massa was, what? How do you pronounce Massa, that? I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. He knows a lot. I mean, I think that's pretty good, having people just assume that they don't get your That reference. they don't get the right. Re- <laughs> it's so deep and obscure that there's possible, it, it, it's not even possible to understand. So your relationship with Scott Derrickson for making Sinister and then uh, working with him on lots of other projects led eventually to him pulling you into Doctor Strange? We pitched it together. He called me one night and he goes, so someone's talking to me about a superhero <laughs> and they would like us to do a superhero movie. And I and I just go, Scott, name one superhero we're right for. And he goes, Doctor Strange. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> that's the one. It's like, God damn it, yes. Because when I was 13 years old, I had actually daydreamed about making a Doctor Strange movie. Like, Doctor Strange has oh, really? always been one of my favorite comic characters, always. And he was, and, and in fact, my novel series... Um, uh, Dreams and Shadows and then followed up by Queen of the Dark Things is heavily inspired by Stephen Strange. Like the idea was what if Stephen Strange wasn't this brilliant accomplished man uh, who worked his way up to this but what if it was a boy who fell into all the wrong things and just all the wrong things happened to him over the course okay. of his life to put him into this similar position and then as that story evolved it became something very different because that's what you do you know you you yeah. try to hide your initial influences and create something new out of it and but that was always like in the original concept that I had for 
that story, Colby goes on to become the sorcerer, the essentially what is the sorcerer supreme okay. of this particular universe. And now that is not the case of where the story's going. But that was that was a big inspiration for me. So when he said those words, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and we had a couple other projects that were lined up and things that we could go. And we had that conversation of, do we do this job right now that we will do well and make a good movie out of? Or do we swing for the fences? And I was like, dude, we swing for the fences. Yeah. Like, if we strike out here, fine. We strike out with Marvel. Who Nobody's going to look down upon you for not being chosen for a gig by Marvel. But if we get this, we get this. And so we pitched it. And they loved the pitch. But they were under a really tight time crunch. And so they were like, well, we're not going to have Scott write this because we need him in pre-production. Okay. We're going to hire another writer. So that was the toughest phone call of my life. Yeah, I bet. Where we had spent several months of, you know, time not getting paid, just pitching and being told, hey, by the way, I got the job. But you didn't. And so, um, so eventually... Um, they needed the script to go in a very different direction than where it was. And they were like, Scott, what do you want to do? It's like, well, let's bring in Cargill. Like you guys loved his pitch. You, you, you lobbied to put a thing that he wrote in that pitch into this movie. He's already partly here. Let's bring him in. Nice. And so they brought me in and then I worked on it through shooting. And, uh, but that's how that all came to be. But yeah, we had worked on a lot of, we've, I think we've written 10 scripts together. I oh, wow. Say. Like, cause we've worked consistently since, uh, Sinister and they're so, and it's so weird. There's so many things we've been attached to that came this close to going, uh, that just never happened. Like we were going to remake the changeling, which is one of my favorite horror movies that everyone forgets exists. <laughs> um, and then there were rights issues with that. And we were going to remake Firestarter um, and uh, do Firestarter with Blumhouse. And uh, uh, and then that fell through. Um, and you do just all these projects that you kind of go through it back through history, like thumbing through your notes. And holy shit, like look at all these <laughs> alternate universe me's have these movies. Yeah. Like, like there's an alternate universe where I didn't make Doctor Strange. Instead, I made Firestarter. Like, like what was what is that universe <laughs> like? Like, does that work out for me or not? I, I kind of want to visit it. But yeah, so. Um, um, I think it's good that you're in the Doctor Strange universe. Nothing against Firestarter, no, but Doctor no, no, Strange no. is pretty awesome. I, it's a it was a pretty pretty good job. Yeah, I think much like Doctor Strange does in the comic book, this opens up doors to other realities for you. Well, and it was just such a great experience. Like it's this is one of those experiences that was so good that it's like if I never get to make another movie again, I got to make my dream movie and yeah. I got to work with a dream cast and have a amazing experience. I lived over in London for three months and uh, got to have that whole experience and and worked with some of the greatest actors of this generation. Yeah. Um, it is. It was an unbelievable experience, so I would not trade it for the world, and it's, it's literally one of those, like, no matter what it does for me career-wise, what it did for me in accomplishing what I set out to do, yeah. it's, it's like if this... If this movie, which I find out in two days, if this movie is as good as I think it is, <laughs> then I have done what I set out to accomplish. Like yeah. that is like, and now it's time to find new goals and new adventures. Cause wow, what do you, you know, that's, that was that thing that I wanted to do when I was 13. And if I, if we nailed it, then we nailed it. Yeah. You know? And by the so. time this podcast is actually released, it will, the movie will have been released. And people oh. listening know that the movie is awesome. Oh, so they I know no if doubt. I'm full of shit or not. They oh, know. Wow. I didn't know we were recording this this far in advance. <laughs> like, yeah, for those of you that don't know, like, I'm, I'm two days from the premiere. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm like, it's like the 18th, I think, yeah. is when this is really happening in real time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you guys know if I'm full of shit or not. I might be totally full of shit. <laughs> this movie might suck shit through a straw. <laughs> uh, I could be total bullshit. 
Uh, but it's Doctor Strange. Anything could happen. There could literally be a dimension that's all shit straws, right? I, I think mean, that's Rick, you didn't script yeah, that. That's but. Rick and Morty. Okay. That's not Doctor Strange. <laughs> Doctor Strange is has multiple universes, but not all necessarily yeah, not necessarily uh, uh, Rick and Morty alternate universes. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm going to ask you one Doctor Strange question, and then we're going to get into your actual main obsession. Great. So my one Doctor Strange question is, if Doctor Strange was real and you could sit down and have some nice scotch with him, what would you ask him about? That's a really, really, really tough question. I guess the one question I would ask is, is there a point? Okay. He's like, seen it all. He's seen it all. He's met death. He's met eternity. He has tangled with the big, biggest entities in the in, in the multiverse. This is a man who does not necessarily know what the point of everything is, but by this point he would know if there was one. Right. Like, And that would be the, like, is there a point to this? Like, if there's not, I can deal with that. And I can go on with my life understanding that there may not be a point. Right, because he could say, like, there's not a point. But you know what? Scotch is really good, so just keep it up. Yeah. Because there are things to enjoy along the way. Exactly. But if there is a point, then okay, that can possibly open up another conversation or he can give me a knowing look like, (laughs) yeah, but I'm not allowed to tell you. And it'd be like, all right. But now that I know that there is one, I have something to chase after. Yeah. So, like, there's you get something out of it either way. So that's the ultimately the yes or no question would be, is there a point? And if he can elucidate upon that, that would be the other thing. Yeah, that's a great riddle uh, type question to try to trick Dr. Strange into telling you some truths. And then maybe, like, like, uh, for a goofier answer, uh, what does Shumagaroth smell like? <laughs> I don't know what a Shumagaroth is right now, but uh, you, I probably will by the time You will eventually. Released. You will okay. eventually. Because uh, <laughs> Shumagaroth is one of his... Essentially, Shumagaroth was the addition of Lovecraftian-type creatures yes! to the Doctor Strange universe. Yes! And is one of Doctor Strange's greatest foes. Okay. So if you read the comics, there is this whole Lovecraftian thing named Shumagaroth, which the, even the name sounds like they it ripped really it off from does. Lovecraft. Oh, I'm going to get my Shimagroth on. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to get into one of the things that are a uh, joy along the way, whether there's a point to existence or not for you, which is uh, Warhammer. Warhammer now you told me, 40K. Uh, a while back, like, hey, if you ever have a time to do the podcast, I want to talk about Warhammer 40K. Yes. So tell me, for people who don't know anything about it, like myself, what is the basics of Warhammer 40K? Some dudes move around a map, and there's some of them are pirates, and some of them are orc things. I'm doing kind of shitty so far. Yeah, um, I I want to, in order to do this, in order to explain, I'm going to give you the base explanation, and then I'm going to give you the history of it so that you can understand where the joy comes from. Excellent. Because it's not easy for a lot of people to wrap their heads around Warhammer 40K. Like, they're they're like you, like pirates or orcs or what's going on. So, essentially, it's a tabletop war game that has this whole large universe wrapped around it. And what you do is you buy models and you assemble the models and then you paint the models and you make army lists and you go and you battle your friends and have tabletop battles. It's tabletop wargaming. Tabletop wargaming started back in the late 1800s with a little book written by H.G. Wells. And I'm trying to remember the name of the book. It's one of the most offensive titles of all time. (laughs) No, really, it is. uh, It's something Uh, like shit on my face by uh, H.G. Wells. No, it's. Like no 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 you're gonna you're gonna get it in a second because it's essentially like tabletop war game games for boys and men of all ages oh. and some clever girls. Oh yeah, that is pretty offensive. <laughs> come on, come on, Howard. <laughs> and and it's and it's just like at the end and clever girls at the end is kind of like really like I understand you're from a different time, but Jesus Christ. Um, so he essentially created 
a rule set for tabletop wargaming that you could use your own little little miniatures that you okay. got as a boy and had rules for refighting battles. And this evolved into a very popular hobby amongst the nerds of the day in which they would uh, take metal miniatures and they'd paint them and they would set up historical armies and refight historical battles with these rules. And various new rule sets came up over time. And uh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, you would know it because it's from the original Star Wars. He's the Admiral. Um, oh, Admiral Ozzel? No, or, or maybe the, not an Admiral. He's the one. Grandma of Tarkin? Yeah, Grandma of Tarkin. Yeah, Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing was, in his day, one of the most well-known miniature yes. painters and collectors and wargamers. And he loved historical wargaming. Stop and, gaming now in our moment of triumph? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. There's actually a great video you can find online. You may want to track it down and post it of him with his kind of collection talking about his love of wargaming. <laughs> And so what happened is in the 50s and 60s, fantasy became a very big thing. Lord of the Rings happened. And uh, and that led to a big explosion of fantasy literature. And so a bunch of these gamers said, you know, it'd be cool if we had this historical refights, but we did them with wizards and dragons and orcs and such. Okay. And so they started creating games like that. And the first big one was called Chainmail. And Chainmail was popular in the late 60s, early 70s, and then evolved the rule set. The guys who were creating it evolved the rule set into something we know as Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. And so Dungeons & Dragons, of course, explodes in the 70s. Well, when the guys stop working on Chainmail and move into Dungeons & Dragons and start doing this, you know, this role-playing thing, all of a sudden there was this big hole left in the industry for people who still wanted to play fantasy wargaming. Like, I when still want to do this. Actually move little guys around in actual terrained map. Yes. And not have that element of imagination where, where the, the the world is real. It's physically right here on their tabletop. Yeah, yeah. And you, would, you, you build the terrain, you paint the miniatures, you put it all together. So there's this very tactile thing to it, and there's a lot of strategy to it, and it's one man against another, and it's chess, but it's in three dimensions, and there's all sorts of stuff to it. And so this company called Games Workshop, which was selling games over in England, decided, well, we're going to get involved in this. And they created Warhammer. And Warhammer was the fantasy game that hits all the tropes. Okay. And it's elves, and it's dwarves, and it's orcs. <laughs> and um, and then along the way, they invented other races, you know, lizard men and... Uh, uh, different <laughs> troubadours. Any troubadours? No, no troubadours. Okay. But you'd have like you'd have elves and you'd have dark elves okay. and you'd have wood elves and you know it was <laughs> yeah no the, like a lot of this is so heavily ripped off and like yeah. Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer both steal wholeheartedly from a number of writers like Vance and Tolkien and oh yeah it's, and it's part lot- of the like the fun and the joy of it kind of yeah. in a way the, the sort of absurd sort of uh, uh, piecemeal nature of the early stuff yep so this was a became a this became a hit and this was a big thing and Warhammer was a thing then this thing called Star Wars happened. You might have heard of it. I have. Peter Cushing was in that. Peter Cushing was in that. Um, so this thing called Star Wars happened, and we had this cinema explosion and this explosion in sci-fi, all of space opera and of science fiction. And all of a sudden, dads were taking their kids to see science fiction movies. Like, this wasn't just for kids anymore. Like, you can make grown-up films. They were making rated R films for adults that were science fiction. Everybody loves science fiction. And the fantasy market started to fall away. And so in order to grab onto that, you have these guys who go, well, what if we do something with science fiction? And so Games Workshop was like, let's do science fiction. Well, how do we do science fiction? Well, what if we did Warhammer 
but set it in space. <laughs> this is literally the concept of what this is. So this is the this is, is there, why so this is the late seventies. Is there cocaine involved? I don't know. Do you think these were cocaine guys? But uh, just when I hear Warhammer, but in space, I picture a little bit of cocaine done off a trained map. It's possible because it's the early eighties where this actually happened, okay. where they really kind of because it was the early eighties where because uh, Warhammer is five years older than uh, Warhammer forty k. But so what they did is they were like, well, what do we do? You know, what do we do? Well, the elves can be elves in space. <laughs> well, what do we call them? Well, fuck it. Let's call them the Eldar. That was Tolkien's name for the elves in the fucking Lord of the Rings. Okay. So we'll call them Eldar. And the orcs will be orcs in space. We'll spell it with a K instead of a C. Um, really? Yes. Isn't that where Mork is from? Mork from Orc? O-R-K? Mork and Gork from Orc, yes. <laughs> oh, no, you're thinking, you're, yeah, no, 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 you're, you're, you're talking Mork uh, from Mork and Mindy. No, there's actually Mork and... Uh, uh, Gork in Warhammer 4K? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is beautiful. I love yeah, it. No, no, okay. no. But so here's what's important, because here's the thing is they're taking all this stuff and setting it in space, and they go, well, what do we do with the humans? Like, how do we just oh. make knights in space? And they go... Well, you know what would be cool? You know what book I really loved growing up? There's this great book called Starship Troopers. And all of these guys, these space marines, these marines in space are wearing all this power armor and running around shooting bugs. So why don't we make them space marines? So they're like, fuck yeah, space marines. Let's call them that, the space marines. So they have all these concepts and they've got this all together and they're like, let's do this. And now they've got to create a universe out of this. Like, how do we make Warhammer in space work? Well, this is the early 80s. So at the time, these British guys in the early 80s are being heavily inspired not only by the cinema, but by uh, 2000 AD comics and heavy metal. Okay. And so this is what they created a universe out of, is all of this batshit insane, Judge Dredd-inspired, heavy metal-inspired Fucking let's put on a fucking uh, a Rush album and put two fingers in the air and be like, Wah! like this is that's what this. So is. they had composers like Frankenstein body and they needed some lightning to make it work. And the narrative lightning is metal is is metal and is, is but, kind of but is also comic books. 80s and, comic book and the crazy punk aesthetic. Yes, exactly. Like okay. This, this they 80- shot it with a zine. Yes. And it came to life. And that is that is the best way to put it. It is science fiction as told by a zine <laughs> by a bunch of guys goofing around. And the first thing when it first came out, they didn't take themselves seriously. There was literally a character that they put in their in their their magazine, White Dwarf, that uh, an elven character. I believe he's half elf. He's half elf, half human. Whose name I shit you not is Sherlock Obi Wan. Um, uh, uh, oh fuck! I forgot. His, I forgot which other reference they had. Uh, sure, God, it's it's someone else out there who listens who, who plays forty k is like it's this. It's like it's it's really one of those stupid like pulpy characters. Like, okay, it wasn't Indiana Jones, but it was like close. Sherlock, Obi Wan, Lamont Cranston, or so, something, uh, something like that. Something like that. Like this <laughs> okay. is the type of shit they did, and they would weed in all these little jokes. Uh, and they even created, uh, famously created a, um. Uh, a a space marine chapter named after a ship, a uh, Greenpeace's ship that had been sunk. Uh, they had a ship that was sunk called the Rainbow Warrior. And so they created the Rainbow Warriors. Well, the Rainbow Warriors came out in the late 80s. And by that point, it's like, 
Oh, the Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> and so they became known for having the loosest rear rhino doors in the galaxy. And uh, and so they quickly did away with them because they're like, they are not being taken in the spirit in which they were intended. Okay. And they have been wiped from existence in, entirely. But so you have this, this story that is just so batshit silly and stupid and awesome. And they come up with all this weird shit like Warhounds, these giant titanic robots that are driven by a pilot. But the thing is, is that in order to get the thing to move, they need a machine spirit. So they literally summon like a spirit that takes over the thing that then communicates with a human. And they have this whole a boy and his dog kind of relationship, like this weird shit. And then in the early 90s, gaming became very, very serious. And you had it was very much about Vampire the Masquerade and it was about role playing. And so... They shifted with the market again and cut out all the goofy shit and said, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of the squats. How did you feel about that? Because you wasn't I wasn't there. You weren't there yet. No, no, no. This is all this is all just lead up. Um, The squats were dwarves in in space. (laughs) Squats, huh? Yeah, squats. Like this is like this is how seriously they took it. Uh, No. And they would rip off everybody. That's the thing is like there's this group called the Tyranids. And if you look at the first and second edition Tyranids. They're fucking xenomorphs from Alien. Like, it was just, wouldn't it be cool to have an army of the aliens from the movie <laughs> Alien? And then lawyers got involved. And they're like, no, that wasn't cool. So what do we do? Oh, well, they weren't actually xenomorphs. They were <laughs> bug creatures called the Tyranids. And so the entire game evolved from that. And then they're like, well, let's take it serious. And they put out the third edition of the game. And it had the tagline on the box that is now what it's famous for. In the grim, dark future of the year 40,000, there is only war. And that's where we get the term grimdark from. Oh, like, really? Yeah, okay. no, the, the term grimdark, when they were trying to describe what um, George R. R. Martin was writing and what Joe Abercrombie was writing, somebody referred to it as being like the universe of 40K. And they said, like, in the grimdark future, and they're like, grimdark, bam. And so that's- I assumed that was uh, a, a recent reaction to the DC Snyderverse. No, gr- grimdark, the word grimdark came from the box cover, okay. of, which is now the slogan of 40K, because what it became was they cut out all of the silliness and what they were left with was this hard sci-fi universe that is just batshit bizarre. Just sad, weeping space elves killing sad, weeping orcs from space. Uh, kind of. Um, the orcs are actually the most powerful psychics in the galaxy. Sensitive um, orcs. But no, Very no, no, serious. because they are so stupid that they don't realize that they're powerful. They don't realize what they're doing. Um, they're actually, orcs in, in, in 40K are spores. They're like mushrooms that grow out like a, a rock will slam into a planet. And when it finds the right atmosphere, the spores will grow into orcs uh, that all have Cockney accents inexplicably. Um, I shit you not. But yeah, they, um, they believe that the color red makes things go faster. So if you paint something red in an orc army, it automatically goes an inch faster than anything else. Um, They don't ever reload their weapons because they don't think they have to because they're psychically creating their own ammo. Okay, and that's when it's serious. Yeah. So in the grim dark era, it is still a little goony. Even accidentally? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that's Goonie. And it's it's yes. great Goonie. It's yes. the sort of character-based Goonie of, like, the, if, a, if a race was really stupid, here are some of the things they would do. All right. So 
Now, is this about when you come in in Grimdark? Yeah, I came in. in, I came in here a little bit about your personal connection too. I I started about uh, twelve years ago. Um, just I was looking for a game. I really, you know, and I kept. I saw this every time I go to Dragon's Lair in Austin, Texas. Somebody's playing it. it is that the comic so book cool. shop? Yeah, it's okay. it's the comic book empire. There literally started out of someone's house like over twenty <laughs> okay. years ago, and or I think twenty five years ago now. And then they would moved into slowly bigger and bigger stores. They are now the second biggest comic and game shop in the country. Okay, cool. I mean, the place is gargantuan, and it's less than a mile from my house, which <laughs> makes me so happy that they moved into my neighborhood. Um, so you'd see the stereotypes of the, like, hey, they're doing a little wargaming, whatever, in the yeah, background. And, and eventually... I'd stop and I'd watch, and it looked cool, and it's like, what are those? They're, those are Tao. What are they? They're commie fishmen. Well, that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> um, you know, and so I was like, you know what? I want to get involved. So I bought my first few minis. I put them together. I painted them, and I started playing and I just got addicted like it is just the it is the great thing about 40k the the connection to 40k is it is a game that will be whatever you need it to be to be your hobby in the moment okay so it can be just like destructive I'm gonna I'm gonna smash the opponent or it can be like I'm gonna get deep into this weird narrative they've created and I yeah. can invest in that you can sit down and read books uh, there's plenty of books you could sit down and play 40k video games uh, do you feel like having a quiet night alone with a glass of scotch and a paintbrush yeah sure sit down and paint a mini for you know for a couple hours or, or paint several or paint a unit um, do you want to build something out in your garage well why don't you build a gaming table and then build all the terrain for your gaming table? Do you um you do you like uh solving puzzles because you have 2000 points to make this army book work against all these other armies that people are playing competitively right now. Do you want to be a hardcore uh get hardcore into that in metagaming because there is a tournament circuit where hardcore players fucking play Damn. hardcore against each other or do you want to get drunk with your best friend on a Saturday afternoon and get day drunk while pushing minis around on the board and telling stupid stories it can be all of that like that's so cool because like a lot of what this podcast ends up being about is how can i express my interest and some obsessions lead themselves very well to expressing it yeah a lot of times it's just it will be more capitalist there's stuff i can buy but this is awesome some some there's like i well i don't know how i'm going to express my love of this thing i can watch a tv show and then i'm done but this is so this can scratch all of these different itches all these different moods and states of being yeah if do you want to argue with someone about it because there's always an argument <laughs> online going on about what's going on in the community always so um the, yeah literally it's like what are you in the mood for like you wake up and you're like i need some quiet time alone i know i'm going to start working on my eldar corsair army um which yeah. are are uh, uh elf uh, space elf space pirates um <laughs> you know you could be like i want to put together models for a while so you'll just sit down and like glue together some models while yeah. listening to an audiobook or chilling out to some music but you're still engaged in war yeah. hammering but there's always and in terms of buying stuff there's always new stuff coming out so every saturday there's uh games workshop puts out something right and every uh, saturday oh yeah and so they, yeah, they stretch out releases rather that they used to dump them and then it would be they would put out one release a month on a weekend and it'd be like, it's the Space Marines this month. So here's the new codex and here's three new kits that come out with it. And now they're like, well, we're going to put out the codex and the cards on this week. And then the next week we're going to put out these three kits. And then the next week we'll put out these two kits. And uh, the next week we're putting out one of our new board games, which also comes with miniatures that are a gateway into this hobby. So it's sort of like Chinese water pleasure. Yes. <laughs> a little drip of here here's the thing 
Well, let me let me ask you this: What is you can experience Warhammer all of these different ways? What is your greatest joy while Warhammering? Is it while you're playing? Is there a specific victory or moment of connection with another human being that you've had? My favorite moments are there's uh, a Warhammer tournament that takes place down in Austin, a whole gaming weekend uh, called War Games Con. And I don't get to go every year because they keep shifting around the dates. So there's no <laughs> one. We- it's not like Convergence where it's like every July 4th, I know where I'm going to be. Right. Um, so I always, I, you know, and I have, you know, movie stuff going on and book stuff going on. So I sometimes miss it. But they do a thing called the narrative track. And the the whole thing with the narrative track is you're playing these games, but it's not a tournament. Like, it doesn't matter who wins. Oh, so you're telling the story, you're, and everybody's on board that we're telling yes. the story together. It's not about winning. Yes, we're telling the story together, and we're going to have a good time. That's and fucking you, awesome. And so you bring, and they encourage you to bring fully painted stuff, and anyone who does uh, narrative typically brings fully painted stuff. So everybody shows up with these gorgeous fucking armies. They put them down on the board, models you rarely get to play with. And then it's like, okay, we're reenacting the Battle of Istvan Four today, and we're you know. These- and does everybody know, like, from the like expanded canon, what that is? Or are you guys typically yeah. creating together? What yeah, it is? typically, typically, you know what like they'll play like they in the narrative tracks they'll play like famous at least famous campaigns. You may okay. not know this particular battle because you're inventing this battle, but this is this battle where you know uh, chaos has taken this planet, and this group, and this group, and this group of space marines have all landed and are trying to take it back and in this mission we're trying to take back the palace to reclaim the palace okay so um so yeah and so you put down these beautiful uh these beautiful models and then you just watch crazy shit happen like that's my one of my favorite moments in playing was somebody had brought a thunderhawk which is this it's literally like i'm showing you it's this big it's, of a ship i yeah it's like a it's like a, a like a foot and a half yeah like imagine somebody putting something the size of the original millennium falcon toy yeah on the table, only a bit larger and a bit bulkier. Yeah. And you know that there are 30 Space Marines inside that ready to pour That's out. That's like somebody just put the 80s on a table, especially yes. when it's called Thunderhawk. It's called the Thunderhawk. And so they put a Thunderhawk on the board. It's loaded with dudes. It soars <laughs> in. I'm playing Chaos at the time. I've got this big Chaos Demon scabby Athrax on the board. Nobody, nobody on the table had ever played against one. They had no idea what he did. And they're like, holy shit, like we're fighting against this greater demon. So they're coming in for me. And we managed to shoot down the Thunderhawk and we roll and the Thunderhawk has a critical explosion and its nuclear reactor goes. And so we're like, oh, shit, I've never seen that happen in a game. We look up the rules and we're like, oh, so this gargantuan like uh, basketball backboard size section of the board Everyone under that, make your rolls or else you evaporate. And just so we, like die, disintegrate. Like, so we literally watched half the board disintegrate in the explosion of this Thunderhawk. That's so awesome. And we were just, and we're laughing and we're like, that's the dumbest fucking thing. Like, that's, like it's awful and awesome at the same time. Right. I love those moments where you can be gaming and then you come yeah. home and you, you tell your partner, like, what happened today? He's like, I accidentally evaporated. <laughs> Half the like board. thirty people. Yeah, it was a really oh, good afternoon. We literally, I think we lost ninety-seven total <laughs> models were removed from the board, and it's okay. like, and when you think about it in context, it's like I sat down and painted all of these models to take to this event that then I put on the board and then ceremoniously removed the board because I had to shoot down the Thunderhawk rather than let its troops out. Like, right. And no, was, was anybody upset, or because you're playing no, narrative, you're, no, you no, want the crazy stuff to happen? Yeah. No. The only thing people in narrative ever get upset about is if they think someone's cheating. 
Like, that's the thing is because it's like, right. You, it's like, dude, just have fun with this. Like, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. We, we want to tell stories. And it's never an interesting story if it's like, yeah, I was playing with this guy that was cheating the whole time. Yeah. You want to win or lose, go play Monopoly. If yeah. you want to blow up a Thunderhawk with a nuclear explosion. Yeah. You, tell a story. You tell a story. And yeah, so I, uh, mm-hmm. I've i had a couple narrative games that have been like just that kind of stupid awesome. Like when something really like super lucky and stupid just happens. Yeah. It makes it so much fun. And those are, those are the stories that like literally that story happened like eight years ago. And that's one of my favorite 40 K <laughs> stories of just, it was such a great experience. And the guys I played with were great. And I was teamed up with this guy who at the time was really famous online for being one of the best model painters in the world. And he was just there and it's like, okay, you guys are on a team. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, oh, I awesome. love your work. And it's like, I've seen pictures of this army online. Holy shit. This is, this is the army. Um, and it's, it's, it's that kind of a thing. Right. So it's a world that opens up that level of geekery on all sorts of different levels. Oh yeah. Let me ask you this. If you got to be in the game, if the company said, came to you and said, Hey, uh, we think you're really awesome. We know you're a big fan. We want to do this kind of fan service thing of putting you in the game. Would you, what kind of character would you want to be if they made a little Cargill? Oh my God. That's what, what Jesus. Uh, you know what I would want to do? I would want to be a, uh, a, uh, watch captain of the death watch. So a watch captain of the death watch yes. watches for death. Uh, Death Watch is essentially okay. So I told you essentially what the Space Marines are. Yeah. Now the thing with the Space Marines is every cha- there's there's a thousand chapters and every chapter is kind of different and they all have their own small mutations going on that make them better or worse at something and they all have their own way of going about it. Like my okay. chapter that I play at home, I play the Carcharodons, um, which is the nice new fancy Latin name for what we used to just call Space Sharks. <laughs> because if I'm gonna play a game like 40k, I'm gonna play the fucking Space Sharks. So, yes, all of my shit is black and gray and have fucking sharks all over it. Okay. Fuck, yes, it does. Uh, So I play the space sharks. But what the uh, Death Watch is, is the Death Watch are the most badass of the badass. So what they are is they're a group of alien, uh, of uh, especially, essentially the special forces of, uh, of they are the Navy SEALs of space marines. Okay. Like, that's who they are. And, uh, And what they do is they draw all the best people from various chapters. And so every chapter owes like a tithe of sending a certain amount of dudes over time to join the death watch. And most of the time they don't come back. Um, But so they go, they paint their armor black, but they're allowed to keep their shoulder pad, their original. um, Oh, so they know where they came from. So they're they're And they always should represent the chapter they came from. And that's what they're doing in the death watch is representing their chapter in the death watch. And so the death watch is literally a collection of all the best dudes from all the best chapters in the galaxy. And the watch captains are the super badasses who did not go back to their chapter and instead stuck around to lead the Death Watch because the because they're like, well, this is where it is. This is where the action is. I'm going to go and kill aliens. <laughs> so um, they're essentially the master chiefs of uh, of of the best of the best. Nice. Like so, if they were going to put like because and one of the things, the reason why I say that is. The uh, the Death Watch are famous for one of the stupider things in 40K, which is people love modeling their characters without their helmets on. So, like, they're going to alien planets and being shot at, but the 
boldest badasses don't bother to wear their fucking armor-proof helmets. You, know, <laughs> you need to see my helmets. eyes when I kill you, Space Exactly. Yeah. And the Death Watch, like, the way they model them is they typically use regular heads instead of helmets. You can have helmets and be helmeted. And there are certain people that are really anal, like, no, my guys will never go into battle without helmets because they're smart Space Marines. <laughs> but the Death Watch are like, fuck it. So uh, they would no doubt sculpt a Cargill head that you would put on to your Cargill watch captain. And that would be kind of cool to have a, 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 a little Cargill head just running. A run little in. Cargill head. Because uh, uh, there's actually one of my favorite my favorite miniature in the game. They haven't produced it in years. I wish they would remake it in plastic. They haven't. They made a Blood Angel Sergeant like 15 years ago. And it was just a, a little metal mini. And it might even be 20 years ago that they made him. And when I first painted him up, I was looking at him. And I said, wait a second. If I give this guy blonde hair, and I painted blonde hair, and I'm like, holy shit, it's Charlton fucking Heston. This is Charlton Heston Space Marine. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I take it to the store, and I'm like, guys, you got to check out my Space Marine. And they're like, yes, 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 pretty paint job. I'm like, no, it's Charlton fucking Heston. And they look at it, and they go, holy shit, it's Charlton fucking Heston. <laughs> like, this model had been around for several years, and nobody had actually put together that they had made a Charlton Heston Space so Marine. So you would want to be a surprise cargo where friends of yours years from now would be like, I bought a Space Marine, and I finally got around to painting it. Holy shit, that's Cargill. Yeah, look, no, no, I brag. Are you kidding? I'm a fucking spaceman. I'm in the Death Watch, bitches. <laughs> hey, guys. It's obsessed co-producer Sarah Meyer, and I'm back out in Venice walking around, stopping people and asking them if they've heard of Warhammer 40K. Hey, can I? Oh, never mind. Have you ever heard of Warhammer 40K? No. Can you guess what it is based on the name? A band. Warhammer, yeah, I used to, I've read a few of their books and stuff like that, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't know what you mean. Guess what it is, just based on the name. I wouldn't know. Warhammer, what's a Warhammer? I wouldn't know, it's so serious. I don't actually know what it is. Have you heard of Warhammer 40K? Yeah, I think everyone has. Did you just say everyone has? I think everyone in the video game world would know about it. If you played a war simulation board game with your friends, yeah. do you think it would bring you closer together or make you fight? Uh, war's never a good thing, even in a game. I think I would fight more with people. I fight over Monopoly, so I imagine Warhammer would be an even harder game, yeah. Would you ever like to paint little miniature figurines? No. Do you like to play games with your friends? Would you like to play a game now? No, no thanks. Have you ever heard of Warhammer 40K? I haven't. But what would you guess, based on the name Warhammer 40K, what would you guess that that is? Oh my gosh, probably one of those, obviously war, interactive, gamify against other people, getting into virtual reality type situation. It's actually a tabletop game. What is a tabletop game? Just literally you're physically in the same space, sitting around a table, and there's action figures, like you paint these little miniature action figures. No Does that sound fun? <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah. So people are really in person, in human, touching real things? Oh, I love that. That makes me really happy. I didn't know that happened anymore. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to our how obsessed are you questions. Okay. Do you think about Warhammer every day? It's hard not to. Uh, my office is literally filled with it. It's it's filled with um, uh, uh, shelving. Uh, it is rare that I don't think about Warhammer. In fact, I'll tell this is an answer of how obsessed I am. Yeah. I have discovered... <clears throat> That um, the easiest way for me to fall asleep 
is to lay down in bed, cuddle up with my wife, and start thinking about how I'm going to paint certain figures of my army. And within two, three minutes, I drift off and pass off, uh, pass out into deep, uh, into a, a deep sleep. Because it's just so calming and relaxing it, it and is. happy. Yeah, because it's not you're thinking, but you're not thinking about anything important or bothersome. You're thinking about brushstrokes, and you're thinking yeah. about colors, and you're thinking about like just all these calm, relaxing things. And it just chills me out. In fact, that's usually when I need to chill out at the end of a day. I'll turn off all my electronics. And for half an hour or an hour, I'll read some Warhammer stuff. Or I'll sit and kind of think about uh, putting together a list for an army or something. And that's how I wind down my day. That is a perfect segue to the next question. Have you ever had a dream about Warhammer? Probably, but not that sticks out. Okay. Like so it's just not, like disjointed images. It's not that. Kind it's of. not that level of obsession where I can't stop thinking about it. It's something that I just enjoy so much that it has become very much a part of my life. Right. It's an escape that doesn't stress you out. It sounds exactly. Like. So something yeah. not not that kind of obsession where like I'm I'm worried that Warhammer won't go okay, so I'm going to stress about it and dream about it. Well, yeah, no, that's actually one of the things that attracts me to it is it allows me to be creative and and think about things in a way that I don't have to worry about in my career. Like okay. with storytelling, you're like, when, when you're a writer, you're constantly working and you're constantly thinking and you're putting ideas together and coming up with new concepts right. and filing that away for later. And with Warhammer, if my minis aren't perfect, if they aren't awesome, if they aren't the best, who gives a shit? Yeah. Like nobody at the store is going to be like, yeah, Cargill, that's not a golden demon paint job. (laughs) They'll be like, oh, hey, your minis look great. That looks awesome. Like they're like if you put effort into it and you know how to not smear your paint everywhere and you understand the basic fundamentals of paint, you can paint an army that looks good. Right. And um, and once you learn the secrets of painting an army, which is that it's all about the bulk army, not the small individual details that people don't tend to look at the individual details. They see the army as a whole that as long as the army has the same level of paint job across the board it's going to look great so you understand that so there's no pressure yeah so it's just this pressure-free relaxing thing that i can be creative without having to think i'm at work right you have to do right uh next how obsessed are you question if you heard a stranger say an incorrect fact about warhammer 40k would you correct them it depends it really depends it depends on how incorrect and what kind of incorrect we're talking about like, because that'll happen sometimes. I'll be at the store, you know, at Dragon's Lair. I'll be looking at the new releases or checking out models and thinking about picking stuff up. And uh, somebody will drop some bullshit detail. And it was just a couple of guys, like, you know, talking Warhammer that don't really, aren't really deep into Warhammer. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to step in and be, well, actually. Because <laughs> it's like, no. They're, Push they're, up your non-existing they're not there. glasses. However, if there's some guy being captain, I'm king of the web, and I fucking read on all the forums about this army list, and this rule says this, and this rule says that, but it's this, so this is that, I might step over and go, actually, they FAQ'd that a few days ago, (laughs) and uh, you can't pull that trick anymore, Uh, or they outlawed that on the tournament scene, so yeah, technically the rule allows it, but... (laughs) Because you know, you, I mean, you know the facts about Warhammer. Generally, yeah. There's so much no one person knows it all, which is okay. what's like. Actually, I have been jokingly referred to on the on the subreddits as the the lore keeper because <laughs> I'm one of the the grog uh, that are on Reddit that. 
people will be like, oh, dude, like there, I used to play Warhammer back when I was in high school. And there's this cool article in White Dwarf that that allowed you to gave you rules for making your own monsters for Death Worlds. And I kind of wanted to play with that and do something with this campaign I've got, but I don't know where to find it. Does anybody know what that is? And everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, that was called Creature Feature. Here's a link to the PDF that's online. Because, uh, yeah, those rules are fucking awesome, and you should definitely have some fun with those. And so people start, you know, several people occasionally refer to me as the lore keeper because I'm oh, this nice. guy who pops into threads and says, yes, here's this thing from 15 years ago you're looking for. Because <laughs> um, that's uh, I, I, I've been loving this stuff for, you know, yeah, quite some time. and you just so, know it. And you just know it. Cool. Now, you are a married man. If you knew you're a super married man, uh, your wife is awesome. If you renew, totally not in the room listening to us at this moment. Absolutely in the room listening to us, but I would have said that anyway because I'm an awesome husband. She's fucking awesome. She is fucking awesome. awesome. Uh, If you renewed your vows with your awesome wife, would you be tempted to have a Warhammer themed wedding? Or is that too far? That's way too far. (laughs) Uh, However, I will say that my wife, learning, seeing how much of an obsession I have, she has been learning to play the game over the years. That's and really we actually cool. play we ba- play both Warhammer and Warhammer 40K. She prefers Warhammer Age of Sigmar because uh, she likes fantasy more than she likes science fiction. Okay. Um, and uh, because when I was like, all right, if you're going to play, I'm going to buy you dragons. She's like, I get to play with dragons? <laughs> Fuck yes, you get to play with dragons. Dragons don't ever explode so from she- nuclear tension or whatever that happened. It depends on which dragon. Um, <laughs> all right. Some, some dragons don't die so good. Um but uh, yeah, yeah, but she, uh, yeah, so. So, but a Warhammer themed wedding. No. Too far. Too too far. And really the thing I, what I love about Warhammer isn't to be taken seriously. Like it's a joyous, wonderful thing. But it's the weird thing about Warhammer players is Warhammer players, you can't really pick them off of the street like you can Star Wars fans. Right. Star Wars fans generally like they wear T-shirts and obviously Star Wars is like. Because well, there's, there's the, there's the, there's the three levels of Star Wars mm-hmm. and you know about the three levels of Star Wars, right? Well, I'm the deepest one, whichever that is. Yes, you yes. are. Yeah, no, there's the, there are the people that, um, who, uh, are average people and they love Star Wars because you know what? It's not nerdy to love Star Wars. It's Everybody fucking loves Star Wars. one of the Wars. largest things ever in the history of the world. It is, it is the Sherlock Holmes of its day. It is the, you know, it is the, by far the, you know, John Carter of Mars of its day. It is the big thing it is Tarzan yeah. it is fucking like everybody fucking loves Star Wars it is unavoidable and you've got those people who are like I love Star Wars and it's like oh well name your favorite mercenary was Boba Fett a mercenary was he a bounty hunter I think he was a bounty hunter uh, okay yeah I'll say Boba Fett and you'll be like you just occasionally watch movies <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that because God bless him that's why we keep getting Star Wars movies um, and then you have the second level, which is where I'm at. Okay. Which is the people who are like, I can sit and talk about Star Wars for a couple hours if somebody brings it up. And uh, I have lots of experiences with Star Wars. I've got an emotional attachment to Star Wars. You will find Star Wars things in my house. And then you have the level where, you know, you look online and you see a new Star Wars backpack and you go, I don't need a backpack, but it's a Darth <laughs> Vader backpack. And I might just want to put it up on my uh, uh, on my wall somewhere. <laughs> Like, and so, and that's where you are, where I walked in and the first uh-huh. thing I saw was this table of fucking Star Wars action figures. <laughs> what you didn't see is the underwear that my wife insisted on getting for me, which are Halloween themed Star Wars underwear with stormtroopers that have helmets, but are skeletons. And then the underwear glows in the dark. Yeah. That's level three. Now, the thing is, is I'm level three in Warhammer. Right. Like I'm there. You're level like 42. I mean, but he's you, on your, you, you do not. The thing is, is that Warhammer players 
are they're they're not evangelical. They're not like like vegans or CrossFitters or 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 certain level three Star Wars people. Where right. can I pull you aside and talk about our Lord and Savior Warhammer? Uh, we kind of realize that nobody else gets it, and we keep to ourselves. And the minute we find out someone. Uh, uh, digs Warhammer. Boom. Now we're talking, and we'll have a great conversation. But there's no desire to convince anyone else to join the Church of Warhammer Be- because it really is for a very specific subset of people who enjoy a certain subset of hobbies. Yeah, that all meet together with Warhammer. So you cannot force people to join Warhammer. They have to kind of come in willingly. And I've handed, I've given armies to friends over the years, and you could just the, the people are like, I don't really get it. Like it's 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 fun, but I don't understand. You want me to paint? And it's okay. Well, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, I can paint." That sounds like it would be a fun weekend. And it's like, uh, <laughs> this is something you do for the rest of your life. Like, there's a long running joke about mini painters that if you ever paint every piece of metal you have in your house, then you die uh, because you have finally finished, and there is no finishing. Uh, so yeah, no, you don't evangelize with Warhammer. It's really its own special thing that the people that dig it there, there is a Warhammer Mecca. Okay. It is called Warhammer world. It is located in Nottingham. Uh, when I was over in the UK, that was the one thing I really wanted to do over there. And, uh, Jess who, who plays Warhammer with me was still kind of like, you are on your own with this one. You, I really don't (laughs) want to go and spend a whole day looking at miniatures and it's like, okay, great. Awesome. Cool. So I, she had left in my last weekend in London in December, I took the two and a half hour train up to Nottingham and I walk (laughs) up to this, I, 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 catch a cab and I'm like, I'm looking for Warhammer world. They're like, I know where I'm going. It drives me to Warhammer world. And, uh, um, and I get out and there's this large full size rhino out in front. And I'm just like, I'm home. (laughs) I have found my home. And I just, and, and went in and just had a great time. Spent like five, six hours there and just had the best time. Soaking it all in. I was. And, and, uh, they have a museum where you can go through and look at minis of the ages, which are minis that were featured in the white dwarf like five years ago. Um, and, uh, to a large 12 foot by 20 foot, um, bat- battle scene recreated entirely with 1200 miniatures. Okay. Um, that just looks amazing that you just sit and stare at for 30 minutes where you're just like, Oh my God, like you're looking at every detail. <laughs> like they put this thing, to- it's just, it's, it's Titanic. It's unreal. Um, so the, the, the next how obsessed are you question is, a, this is, okay. uh, this, this frames it for me. Cause I wasn't sure I was going to frame this one. This is a, a question I've been asking people that I've been having fun with. If you went to this Warhammer Mecca, like this is, it's Mecca. It's, yeah. It's important. It's special. It's unique. Mm-hmm. And there was a large bear blocking your path. The rhino statue was there, but an actual live bear was blocking your path to get Oh, by in. the way, it's not a rhino. The rhino is actually a tank. They actually the, oh, re- they built a full-size, ver- they converted an actual APC into a rhino. Assumed. It was a space rhino. No, 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 the no. The animal no. space rhino. Okay, so there's a tank called a rhino. Yes. A tribute to my ignorance. Right there. Totally fine. And then a live bear, which is not a tank. It's a live bear. But the animal, a bear. And you need to, you don't have to fight it necessarily, but you have to navigate your way around the bear, possibly incurring injury. Would you have navigated after this long train ride? Oh, yeah. I kicked that bear square in the nuts. It's like, how dare you, sir? Do you know you that I physically came, assaulted? I came the bear. all the way to Nottingham. Nottingham is like the the the. Uh, not a lot of people know, but we know Nottingham. You know, from Robin Hood. It sounds very romantic. It has the highest number of gun deaths in the UK. 
Like that is, if you want to get shot to death, you it go to Nottingham. It should be arrow deaths. You would think, and you'd think they'd have a halfway decent sheriff. <laughs> but no, you go to Nottingham to get shot. So like, this is like, people are like, oh, you're going to Nottingham. That's dodgy. So you just would have borrowed a gun. Uh, except you can't because you can't legally own a gun there. That's how right. shooting deaths are really awful. Okay. In, like, it's not like Texas where <laughs> you just assume that everyone has one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, but yeah, I would definitely navigate the bear probably with a swift kick to the nards. Nice, nice. That um, is a perfect segue to the final How Obsessed Are You question, which is about nards in a way. If you couldn't play Warhammer 40K without you or someone you love first being punched in the crotch, would you still play Warhammer 40K? Yes, come on. <laughs> so this is important enough to you that you would take if I, like a you, monthly shot. Well, see, here's the thing is that is actually the truth of Warhammer. This is the one thing I have not brought up. Uh, while they do not actually punch you in the nuts, the amount of money it costs to maintain a Warhammer habit. <laughs> it's a financial punch. I would trade the financial <laughs> amount of money. My wife would certainly be, honey, take the shot in the nuts this month. Um, I occasionally get those conversations where my wife comes in and she's like, Cargill, um, do you know how much money you spent at Dragon's Lair over the last three months? And I'll be like, three, maybe four. Try higher <laughs> and add an extra digit. Oh, shit. Yes. Yeah. You need to take some time off from Warhammer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, All fair right. enough. All right. God damn it, Cargill. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah no, it is that Warhammer comes with. You can very easily buy your army and play with that army for the rest of your life. But if you get in as deep as I am, you end up. Uh, oh hey, there's a new army coming out this weekend. I'm not going to buy the army because I have no interest in the army, but I'm going to buy the codex because I need to have the codex. So I want to read through the codex and want to know the rules for when I play against people who play with this army. Right. Um, so oh. it pulls on you as a lover of narrative. Narrative. It pulls on you as a lover of uh, strategy. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's got you coming and going, even and, though it's a and, fun, relaxing And as hobby. somebody who loves putting together cool-looking science fiction models or fantasy models and then painting them. Yeah. Like, it hits you at all those points, and it can be whatever you want it to be at any moment of the day. So if you just want to indulge in your hobby, is there so many hobbies? It's like, I love climbing mountains. I know people who love climbing mountains. You can at 11 o'clock at night go, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to go and climb a mountain. Right. And, like, you as a Star Wars fan can't be like, you know what? I really, I just want to watch a new Star Wars movie today, so I'm just gonna go and watch a new Star. It's like no, no, no. But you it's can, Easter famine. You can, however, dig into one of the like twelve thousand forty k novels that have been written, or short stories, or go online and read people's uh, own fluff about their own special chapter. Because that's one of the thing is there are a thousand chapters of Space Marines. Only a handful of them are defined. They have that number so that your number can officially be part of the, the oh, lore. Oh, nice. So that's the whole thing is that your chapter is your chapter. And, and you it's play, for real. In, and it's for real. Canon. And you play you. And um, and you just go and do your thing and play by this set of rules. And so you create your own chapters or you're like me. I like, I'm a canon guy. I like recreate. I like, like I play the Carcaridons and my, my, Eldar Corsairs are the Sunblitz Brotherhood, which are this notoriously crazy group of uh, elf space pirates, which <laughs> is, is so much fun to say. Uh, there's a point in time where I put together an army where I had uh, there's an army called the Space Wolves. Um, and uh, <laughs> what's they, the Latin name of Space Wolves? Uh, they never actually share the Latin name of the That's Space because awesome. they're called the Space Wolves. They are they are called the Space Wolves. Okay, that is the, they have that no is, shame. They have no like, shame. Fuck they, you. They we'll they were, eat you in space. We yeah, don't care. We, we are Space Wolves. Um. But uh, yeah, they. Uh, but they. Uh, I had created a, a small army of them. They have these. They ride these thunder wolves, 
uh, because of course they do. And uh, they come from the planet Fenris because of course they do. And uh, they try to fit the word wolf into a word sentence <laughs> as many times as possible. And they're kind of awesome that way. And so I actually replaced the thunder, the, the thunder wolves with um, these dinosaur, these cold one dinosaurs from uh, the fantasy line and created all these dinosaur riding space wolves, which I think is the greatest <laughs> sentence in the English language. Dinosaur riding space wolves just sounds Absolutely. so fucking awesome. And that's really, that's that's part of the fun of 40K is there's this level of fuck it. Yeah. Uh, of like, let's just have fun. Let's not even try to take it. Like, that's the thing that's kind of weird about that. I, I've never, why I can't go to level three of Star Wars where there's this like line of demarcation of like, no, we know this is space opera, but there have to be rules. And it's like rules. Why do they have? To, why can't we just go nuts? Yeah. You know, let's go really, really nuts. <laughs> and uh, and and in 40k, you can go fucking batshit and and just have a good time with it. Cool. And you're, and you're encouraged to like people do weird shit. Like they'll take models from a certain um, army and kit bash them with models of another, and be like, "Well, these are my half elf." Uh, orc characters that it, that this army yeah. and this is representing this. I have a a guy who would take beast men heads and put them on all of his space wolves and create you know the beast wolves like the actual wolf wolf like chaos characters that were represented as like a chaos offshoot, but using the the space wolf rules. Like you just you're encouraged to do that, and people are like, dude, that's fucking awesome. That's great. <laughs> that's so cool. And people just kind of like high five you, and it's like you put effort into this stuff that I'm going to play against today. That is why I do this. Cool. So given that insanity, that love of insanity, uh, what is a noise that you can make to sum up this obsession with Warhammer? Whoa! (laughs) That is the the actual war cry of the space orcs. Nice. They they just say the word war. War! (laughs) Nobody's quite sure if they're actually saying war or it's spelled like war. Like there's some H's in there? uh, Okay. Yeah. But it's war. Nice. I've been rating people's obsessions on a scale of one to seven. Okay. I think out of one to seven space sharks, I think that you are five space sharks obsessed. That's fair. Because clearly you're super into it. It occupies a lot of your time and your wallet, but you have clear walls yeah where it doesn't cross over to this and where you keep it in this compartment of it's for fun yes and it sounds to me like if it ever became something where it was stressing you you would take a step back because you know its place it's for fun oh yeah it's for incredible fun yes it is it is it is a diversion it is a good time it is not to be taken seriously awesome uh so where can people find you on the old social media you can find me on the twitters uh at massa worm as we discussed m-a-s-s-a-w-y-r-m uh also facebook.com slash massa worm uh and uh you can apparently find my movie in theaters right now <laughs> go see the little indie film doctor strange uh or you can find my books wherever you buy books uh start with uh the uh dreams and shadows which is the first and queen of the dark things is the follow-up if you like the first one awesome awesome i got to do some quick plugs for the podcast you can follow me on twitter and instagram is at joseph scrimshaw you can follow obsessed podcast on twitter is at obsessed podcast for info on all my upcoming shows you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com there are two ways to support obsessed you can back us on patreon and get exclusive 
exclusive bonus episodes every month. For full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw, or you can support all the podcasts on the Feral Audio Podcast Network by shopping through our portal. <laughs> it's a very Warhammer-sounding phrase. Shop through our portal. Just go to feralaudio.com, click the Support Our Artist button, and shop on Amazon, and some of the money will go to supporting Feral Audio. Go and buy Cargill's books on Amazon through our portal. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've got the final questions on the podcast. Don't have anything to do with Warhammer, but you can Great. make them about Warhammer Let's if you go. want. If you could shoot one of the two, one of these two things out of your hand, which would you prefer? Acid or stamps? Acid. Acid. Like, why, why is that? <laughs> why would stamps even be a, like just ka-chunk? Like, like uh, I'm, I'm the white collar superhero. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a cost effective man. Yeah, no, of course, yeah. acid. Like acid actually has a use. Like every once in a while, I'll just be like, fuck it. I need to get this thing out of my way or I'm just going to burn it. How do I scrape this terrible stuff off of this terrible thing? I know. You know, there you go. Just <laughs> squirt acid out of your hand. And besides, who fucks with the guy who shoots acid out of his hand? Like, that's the guy that nobody fucks with. Yeah, it's true. People would still fuck with you if you shot stamps out of your hand. It would be convenient. Oh, it's, but no, stamps would, out of your hand, they would totally fuck with you. They would tease you. Oh, yeah. They would mock you. All right. Uh, next question. If there was a theme park ride based on your life, what would it be like? Oh, you know what it would be? It would essentially be a fun house. Oh, nice. Where in each additional room you go into, they hand you another type of scotch. <laughs> and then the final room is just everybody drunk hugging each other and telling them each other how much they love each other. Right. Like so when is... you first walk in, you, you think you're drunk, but it's just funhouse mirrors. And by the end, you are drunk. No you mirrors are drunk, needed. And you are hugging everybody and you are experiencing the joy of life and just loving the people around you. I think you might have answered my final question that I ask everybody, which is what is happiness? I'll tell you what happiness is. Happiness is waking up in the day and not dreading it. There are a lot of days where you just, you know, depending on what your job is or what your life is or what your romantic situation is, where you just, you lay in bed and you don't want to get out of bed because you're afraid of everything you're going to deal with. And happiness is springing out of bed and looking forward to whatever the day is going to end up being, like, because you're not afraid of it. And uh, and that's that once you reach that state when you're just like the alarm goes off and you're like, all right, what let's what what's what's next? Yeah, uh, that's happiness. That is a great answer. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Dude, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That is our podcast. Excellent. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed. Whoa!